You are listening to Marquette University's COVID Convos podcast. In each episode, representatives from Marquette's STEM and humanities communities will bring you insights into the pandemic that you may be missing. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes, where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnick rivers meet and the people of Wisconsin's sovereign Anishabe, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Oneida, and Mohican nations remain present. Hello, and thank you for joining us at the Marquette COVID Conversations. My name is Liz Wojniak. I'm the Digital Humanities Specialist in the Digital Scholarship Lab at the Rayner Memorial Libraries here at Marquette. I'm joined today by Dr. Carmel Ruffalo and Dr. Alexander Martins, and we're going to talk about Jesuit responses to the COVID pandemic and healthcare in the Christian and Catholic traditions. So would you like to introduce yourself, Dr. Ruffalo? Thanks, Liz. Yes, I'm Carmel Ruffalo. I am the Associate Vice President for Corporate Engagement for the University in the Office of Economic Engagement. My academic home is biology. I have a PhD in medical microbiology. And before I was full-time administrator, I taught microbiology to many students, including the nurses and the pre-health and pre-medical students. I also did research in bacterial pathogenesis, looking at vaccines and development of vaccines. One of the best things that I did when I did teach was teach a course on the the history of disease and looking at how disease actually impacted on the human race and our history. And so I am happy to be talking about some of those impacts and history uh, tidbits today. So thank you very much for the invitation. Excellent. Welcome. And Dr. Martins? Hi, everybody. And thanks, Liz, for the invitation to have us in this podcast. So I'm Alexander Martins. I'm a professor, assistant professor Marquette in a joint position between College of Nursing and Theology Department is because my education range from healthcare, I have a nursing education to theology My PhD was in bioethics, and my research focused in bioethics and global public health care. And then it's what I actually, I will share today, those bioethics issues related to COVID from like theological cattle perspective. Excellent. I'm really excited to talk today to you both about this. Um, So this episode really began as a suggestion from you, Carmo, Mm -hmm. to our group, and we were so excited for this topic. So I thought maybe we could just start with a little bit of a historical perspective. So how has Christianity and later uh, specifically Roman Catholicism influenced or guided the way that we interact with sick people in our society? Yes, thanks, Liz. It really has, when we have a look at religion and how religion impacts uh, healthcare, it really is Christianity and Catholicism that has has had the greatest impact globally. If you were to do some research in terms of history of healthcare, uh, you will find that you don't really get the history of healthcare. And one of the things I want to just say right off the bat is, in order to explain some of this, you have to talk about the history of medicine itself, and then the history of hospitals. 
And that's the, the history of hospitals is actually key in, in how we uh, look at how Catholicism really has impacted. And so while the history of medicine and the history of, of healthcare hospitals are intertwined, they are separate. Because if, if we get any questions back, they'll say, but didn't we do this in medicine? And yes, we did. But if we look at the, the healthcare side of it, it you know, you, you take a little bit of a different stance. So that's, so, that's a good um, point. Yeah, so pre-Christian, taking care of the sick and the dying was really a family thing. You you did that in your four walls. There was really no community kind of health care that was really uh, evident. The Romans and the Greeks and other large civilizations and, and uh, groups had what would be similar to hospitals for their armies. So there were a lot of military-like complexes to make sure that their army was well taken care of. But there was nothing like we would call a hospital today. You know, people took care of their family, but if you were poor, homeless, or, you know, not, or your family couldn't take care of you, you were pretty, it was pretty rough. You know, you didn't have really good, good chances. You can have a look at many of the historical texts that will tell you that there are no civilian hospitals pre-Christianity. They only happen post-Christianity, okay? okay? So that's a well-known fact, whether you're a microbiologist or a historian, everybody agrees on that one. <laughs> Taking care of the sick and the outreach to the sick, that's where we start to see it. That's where we start to see the Christian values coming in, the value of what we hear in the in the New Testament of what Jesus did himself in terms of taking care of the sick and how later then the, the apostles took care of the sick. We really start to see that coming through this and what you want to call that as the Christian doctrine coming through in the community and that the community is now taking care of the sick, the homeless and the travelers that are coming through. You know, by 2050 AD, there's a time there, there was really some great good outreach that was actually happening in the church, in the nascent church. That really strengthened and really exploded after Constantine, back in 313, basically made Christianity the official religion, the imperial religion. And so really after that, that was really the spark. That's where we really start to see structures that are being built for the, the, the taking care of the sick, okay? You know, Christianity, as we looked at taking care of the sick, when you start to look at that, you then have to start to look at what is, what is healing, who is doing the healing uh, and taking care of the sick, and we see a couple of things that start to start to happen, which we still do today. First of all, much of the healing was actually a part of the uh, the clerics at the time, the monks, the nuns, you know, the people who were the, the religious the religious entities were also the healers. And so we see this, and, and this is with other religions, but we we do see this uh, again. This the healing of the sick being part of the religion. Okay, that continued. But what happened in the Christian, there was sort of like this parting of ways between the healing of the body, which some of the clerics took care of. Right. But then there was physicians that or, you know, 
what that what we would call physicians of the day that also took care of that. So there was two different groups of of people uh, taking care of that. But then this is where you then start to hear evidence of the soul. So the Christians we we separated the body from the soul <laughs> and the body being you know the weak and the corrupt we've all heard this and then the soul is the the immortal and so you had the physicians eventually taking care of the body but you had the priests and the religious folk taking care of of the soul and I, i'll mention this later but we all know that this still happens today right so this is where where you start to see start to see that so we have the first hospitals that are being built, 350, 390 AD. They were then called Hotel Dio, which is the Hotel of God, which again relates back to the Christian, the Catholics and the Christians being at the helm of getting those. The most famous of those I do want to talk about just real quickly is the one in Paris, that Hotel Dio in Paris is still there and is still part of their largest hospital system. And that was started in, founded in 1650, apparently by um, St. Landry. So that was, that's really great. I love to talk about these kinds of things. I've never been, I have been to Paris, but I, and it's one of those things. I went to the Pasteur Institute, but that's what microbiologists do. But I, I never went to, to see the, to see the hospital. But what really impacts history and, and how and what healthcare is today is the Christian value and the Christian doctrine. And I think was well explained by the Benedictines where they state the care of the sick is to be placed above and before every other duty, as if indeed Christ were being directly served by waiting on them. That is is very important and it is the whole premise of what we have as healthcare, right? The taking care of, of the sick. Um, Much so. And a couple of things, because I know that Alex wants to chime in too, but I do want to say a couple of things so that you, you have to be fair. You know, the Christians of the time, they interwoved some of the values that were also part of the time. So there were some of the Jewish values as well and some of the Jewish teachings. One thing I find interesting is also we took a few things from the Egyptians. You will know that us Catholics have a saint for every part of the body. Yes. Well, that really comes directly from the Egyptians who had a God for every part of their of the body. You know, there's a direct correlation here. The other thing I want to uh, quickly say, and then it's just two things. First of all, when you have a look at other religions, both the Catholic religion and many others, the one thing that unfortunately or fortunately depends on which way you see it, but the, the one thing that is similar is that all of the religions see disease as part of the wrath of God. You are diseased or we have disease because this is the wrath of God. So that's one of the things that we see. The other thing that we see here in terms of going back to the soul and the body, the Christian and I think Catholic then following has this sort of like dual, what can I say? It's a, there's a duality here with the body, right? It's the weak body, right? And so therefore it, it can be punished by God. But then as we move into other eras, we also see that body as a vehicle of suffering, but for the good in the sense that how many saints do we know that suffered 
right? Saint Teresa is always, is the one that is the one that best quoted that says, "I am truly happy to suffer, and 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 to suffer for God." Dr. Martins, in addition to your background in nursing and healthcare, is there any sort of Jesuit complement to this long tradition? How of the Jesuits specifically, as well as just sort of your general response to that great summary? Uh, yes, well, the Jesuit, just to say quickly, one thing the Jesuit contribute was the perspective of more holistic view mm-hmm. that we might we call cura personalis, like the, the care for the whole person. What Dr. Pufo said is right, that kind of dualism, it's very strong, especially in people's conceptions. It's not something that officially is the vision of the church, like it's two things that totally separate body and soul. But in practice, that's what has been promoted and people has believed in. And it's very interesting that she mentioned Catholic tradition is not a, like a, a poor tradition that starts from nothing. Is it comes from other traditions? As the Jewish is tradition is very strong. We call actually technically speak is the Christian Jewish tradition because that there is very good connection. But also have elements of the Egypt traditions, the Greek, the philosophers, mm-hmm. all is present and and mixed, but seen from the eyes of Jesus. That what the the, the Catholic will add to all these traditions. And in the Jesuit, the complement is have to think about uh, St. Ignatius. He was a soldier, and all his process of conversion was uh, when he was sick, recovering from a battle, and then he has that inspiration to start a company of like good men that could make the difference. <laughs> and they had that perspective to promote, like, see God in all things, but exactly to see the, the universe as a, a beautiful gift of God in the human as part of that universe for care for everything and care for each other and for itself, like him, him or herself. So that's a contribution, especially now I think about the, we, we say a lot here at Marquette, Cura Personalis. In the nursing school, we actually have a class on Ignatian uh, pedagogy in nursing. That's exactly to show how nursing care is exactly the care for the whole person. I think that is a main contribution. And just to add something, what said in part of the theological side of all those historical perspectives that Dr. Hoku presented, it is the thing, Catholic tradition, the Christian tradition was shaped about basically, I would say two biblical passages. One in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus said, all the time you take care of the sick, you take care of myself. And that make the the people say, take care for the sick is a way to take care of Jesus himself and became a way to go to the heaven. <laughs> so that inspired Christians to have a different perspective for the sick. And then they create like places for the sick, the, the hotels that became hospitals. Like the word hospital in English comes from the Latin uh, hospitalis, that means hotel, <laughs> a place for guests. And then the other biblical passage is the good Samaritan in the gospel of Luke because then is like if the the Matthew gospel said take care of the sick or take care of Jesus himself in the good Samaritan show a good man take care of a sick person whoever who uh, he or she is but take care of Jesus I care of someone as God take care so 
It's like that relation. I am like Jesus, care for someone sick, and someone who I am caring is like Jesus for me as well. So you have that relation that changed a lot the perspective of the dignity of the sick, all the special care of the sick. In the church tradition, care for the sick became like what they call works of mercy. It's a path to lead you to heaven. And then that people still believe in that because it's still true. It's a work of charity. Uh, in the way, it's a God-like call to us for, ta- for the Christians to take of the sick. And that was kind of revolutionary, as she explained before, in terms of take care for the sick and the origin of healthcare in the hospitals in the Western world. Yeah, that's really interesting. Dr. Ruffalo has shared with us how the healing sort of split into these two parts, the body and the soul, and the Jesuit tradition really just brings them together. It says you can't split them apart. They're interconnected. I really love that that point that you made there. I'm curious, what sort of impact has this sort of tradition of caring for the sick, caring for others like Jesus had outside of healthcare in terms of like public and global health, that sort of thing? I wondered if you guys could discuss that a little bit for us. Thanks, Liz. I'm going back to history, back in the back in Understood. the old days. Yeah, I think what Alex said was was really important. You know, both the you know taking care of of the sick, taking care of Jesus, and and the whole Good Samaritan. So we talk about, and you you've, you've said here, you know, history needs to be told by the microbiologists. And I, I do tend to agree with you. When I was teaching my course, you know, I, I kept saying to my students, you know, it's really the disease that has just that has made us who we are. And uh, no one believed us. I think they believe me more now because we're in a we're in in pandemic mode, and and boy, have we seen a lot of changes. I just want to say that's a direct quote from our, one of our earlier meetings. I thought yeah. that was great. So I mean, that is it's not like you say it's what you said. But we see. When we have a look at the impact, we have to look at the what the good and the bad, right? What happened? I mean, there was a there was an immense amount of good that the Catholic religion has done for humans. We talk about the dignity of of the sick and the dying, right? And Alex, you were right to to say that. So we we see that through really every aspect of our society, but we also see that even if it wasn't intentional, our religion. <laughs> brought to other, you know, civilizations some real devastation. You know, we talk about uh, what happened in uh, Central and South America, for example, where we have a lot of the ministries that went after the conquistadors came in. The intention was the conversion to Christianity, how that was achieved It may have been achieved differently if disease didn't play a part, for example, right? These folks went into what we would call non-immune virgin populations and they kind of went in. These civilizations were not immune, so you had an infection versus immunity. And you had a situation where many of these civilizations looked to these Christian people who'd come in who weren't sick right? So their God, there is their God, right? Their God's got to be a lot better than our God (laughs) because they're still alive and we're not. And so we see, I'm sure in those times, the ministry, uh, the the missionaries, I should say, probably tried to help the sick, but it didn't work that way. I want to bring that in because I think that's an aspect that we shouldn't forget. I think it's something that we see, that we now know what it's all about because of the understanding of disease and how disease is spread. We certainly are seeing it now. 
our Christian faith it still is a, is a strength throughout the whole healthcare system. And whether you're Christian or whatever other religion, those basics are still there. The dignity of taking care of the sick and the dying, regardless now, it's become part of who we are as, as humans. Oh, yeah, thank you. I just want to add something that has happened right now with the COVID-19. It's, it's different from the past, but has some similarities. I am originally from Brazil, and my parents live in the Amazon region area. And there right now, so I have a lot of contacts and do a lot of work there. There are many indigenous communities there that are suffering disproportionately with COVID-19. The indigenous communities, some of them are very isolated. There are even studies, some like uh, studies that have estimated still like 12 small groups that never had been contact with what you call Western civilization, like or, or they call like white civilization. But they had been sick through new contacts because they are with all the process of deforestation, the forest don't have any everything they used to have for them. They need to go to the nearby city to get food or something. They get infected there, bring to the tribe. In the tribe, don't have proper health care. The traditions they had doesn't work for COVID because it's a new thing as the past. They are just getting sick and not having access to the modern care we can provide and they are dying. And sometimes they are also dying with people going there. And missionaries still, missionaries from evangelical church, Catholic church, and then it's created the same process right now during the pandemic. So the Catholic church in Brazil, the bishops has called for, we had to pay attention and do something against that. Unfortunately, the government in Brazil had been neglected the care for these communities, of indigenous communities. I, that's tough for deeply my heart because my parents I live in the same region, and that contact with different societies, like indigenous and the Brazilian society, it's very ambiguous. At one time, you can maybe create a benefit to have access to modern medicine, but on the other hand, they have access to those diseases that the body never had before, or the uh, traditional ways to healing doesn't work. So I, I just want to add, call that attention, something differently, but with similarities that happen right now with the pandemic, with the indigenous communities in the Amazon region in, in South America, particularly in Brazil. No, as when I hear that, you wonder how much has changed over how many years, hundreds of years? Because <laughs> infectious disease is infectious disease, right? And I think that's what we are also looking at as, as the principles of infectious disease. We have to take that into account. Viruses are going to infect. They don't care. So a, a bacterial organism, it doesn't really matter who you are. It really does matter what your immune system is like, though. So that's why we're seeing maybe these, what, what we're seeing back maybe in 1347 and, and in the 600s, we're also seeing again today. I want to thank you for that example. I mean, it is a really great example of how these contacts continue to happen where you have non-immune communities meeting new infections and, so, and, and such. It's a process that's clearly been repeating from 
you know, long before the conquistadors were here, but it's that's an excellent example of just a completely indigenous community and that it continues on to this day. So I think maybe the, the question we need to ask really is sort of based and inspired by, by this example from Alexander here. So our society and our global society as well, we're all facing several crises right now. How do you think the Catholic Jesuit tradition and their focus and long-term narrative of health care and care for the sick can guide us in the ways that we respond to things like SARS-CoV-2 or, or the COVID virus, as well as issues of things like racism and justice, socioeconomic inequality, and other major pressure points that we're experiencing in this moment. And, and that's up to really to either of you, but maybe Dr. Martin, if you'd start. Oh, sure. That's a great question. And I think the Catholic Jesuit tradition have a lot of to teach us, to inspire in the context we're living now, when we have that global health pandemic and challenge at the same time, all the health inequalities and things that became so explicitly, especially in our society in the United States, we see like how COVID has impacted disproportionately minority groups. And that just reflects the inequality you have already in the society previous the pandemic and then with pandemic just make that very explicitly and explode then became we can't hide anymore it's just in front of our eyes i think the tradition the the capital jesuit tradition i'd say they inspire us in in two fronts i'll put it that way based on like values and principles that starts in two fronts one is care for the sick the person in front of you who is sick. I used to say to my, my students when I talk about global health, if we have a person in front of you who is sick, if you're a nurse, if you're a physician, you cannot say, oh, let's fight for justice, then you'll be better. No, you should care right now. That is an immediate need. But that doesn't exempt us or excuse us to fight for a justice health that has less inequalities in healthcare, that have more participation and access to good health, good living conditions, work conditions, the social determinant of health, and then access to health care. So that's the Christian uh, Catholic Jesuit principles help us to guide two actions, like care for the sick and the society in terms of organization and justice. So in the first one is the people who are in need and the immediate needs. So is all the discussion I have been mentioned until here. See the person with the dignity, regardless who she or he is, regardless of tra religious tradition, uh, uh, color of skin, socioeconomic status, but see the person. In the Christian tradition, everyone, every single person is worthy of love and care and deserve that. So, and then in the sense, but at the same time, we don't have capacity to just care for the people who are getting sick, especially for those diseases can be prevented or could be treated well. If you don't have a society that functions well in terms of access to a good social determinant of health or access of justice and a better economic status, a better life. So that's the second front in which the organized society that can, people have access to healthcare and social determinant of health that can determine health in a good way. So I want to mention 
for those two fronts, like care for the sick and like just what I call uh, just health, I think I want to give an example from the tradition, the, the Catholic Jesuit tradition of four values or principles. One, I mentioned a few times human dignity. Everyone, every single person has an intrinsic human dignity that may, may just make this person worthy to be cared and to have, live in good conditions, regardless who she or, or he is. Uh, the second one is the common good. And the common good are those goods that we need to access, to flourish, and to live well. And one of them for the Catholic Church is healthcare, as well as education and many others. But just get in our topic, healthcare. So in the way you create a society, people can have access to healthcare in good living conditions that keep good health status and well-being to promote population health. In the way in systems that Catholic Church, uh, the Catholic social teaching you call system of uh, contributive and distributive justice to access to the common good. The third principle I want to mention, example, is the principle of solidarity. See us as a community in solidarity to one another. And the solidarity in a, a micro level, the person like my neighbor, as the Bible said, help my neighbor in the need. But also solidarity, as Pope John Paul II said, in a, in a social level in which the society is shaped by solidarity among the, the citizens. And the fourth one, I'll give an example, especially that's very toward the issue you mentioned of inequality and racism we have now is with the Catholic tradition called the preferential option for the poor. So in an unfair society, we have a lot of poverty, injustice. We have to give a special attention for those who are suffering more than others, unjustly. The poor, the marginalized, those who are victims of racism, sexism, and any other a social illness, put it that way, should have attention in the way that we can help them to raise in the level of the others. It's not because we don't like those who are well, but because those who are not well need to get in the same level. My students sometimes when I'm teaching, when I talk about that principle, the option for the poor, they say, oh, but then God love more the poor than the people who are not poor. And I said, no. And I give them a very simple example. I said, think about the mother that had two children and one is sick and the other one is healthy. The mother in that moment that one is sick she will give more attention to the one who is sick, not because she loves him more, but because she wants him to be like his brother or his sister in the same level and, and then share the same level of uh, healthy and well-being. So that is, is share the common good. That's the, the option for the poor. When you go to the healthcare, the Catholic principles and Jesuit tradition teach us to see society as an organism that needs to collaborate, see each people, each person uh, as a whole person who have intrinsic dignity that deserve care and love. In the United States, it's very interesting because when you think, according to the Catholic Health Association, one in seven patients in the country is cared 
by in a cattle hospital. That's very significant. All that force we have in the cattle uh, here in this country that come from the, the tradition historical that Dr. Huglos explained before, it's, it's, it's very significant. And those values I mentioned should guide those institutions to contribute to the common good, to, to the people who needs. And last thing, I'm just thinking about now with the COVID-19, our big question will be soon vaccine distribution. Yeah, because that sure. will come soon. I hope we have the vaccine soon. And then you think how you can distribute that. People can have access. And I think those principles I mentioned before can guide us to have like a vaccine equity, a fair distribution that everybody can have access in a very fair way, including those who are marginalized and poor from other social aspect, but they can have access to the, the vaccine in the same way than anybody else. So that is a big question we have to address. And I am in, in some debates with the Cattle uh, Health Association, how Catholic institutions can help the American society in the world where other Catholic institutions are to have like a fair vaccine distribution where that comes to our benefit. That's really interesting. And I really appreciate that option for the poor you mentioned. I know a lot of times we talk about equality, but I think what you've really highlighted there is how the Catholic tradition teaches us that we have to find equity in service of equality. Um, and I really appreciated that. What about you, Dr. Ruffalo? Uh, what, do, you, yeah. do you have anything to respond? Well, I couldn't, you know, I'm just going to follow up because, uh, you know, Dr. Martins has done such a wonderful job and, and I agree with everything that he said. But the two things that I want to say, he said about the, the patients, you know, one in seven patients being in Catholic hospitals. So that's the carrying on of, of that tradition. And that's globally. I mean, I know that figure is probably here in America, but we can almost, you know, see that in, in other countries as well. We still see that. And I agree with all of the, the Catholic Jesuit doctrines and all the things that you spoke about but here is the problem we have to act on them and that's what i think is lacking right now they were relevant thousands of years ago right they're still relevant now more than ever it is now up to us to act on that to be that person you know and you know i'm sure people be rolling your eyes but i to, to be the difference right? This is the time. This is really the time right now, because we have those values. They've, you know, they really haven't changed. Um, they're, they're, they're there. They were relevant when, you know, it was the plague of 1347 and, it's, and, the, and the coronavirus of COVID of 2019-2020. But we have to act. We have to act on that. And then I will finish by saying, Alex, you are absolutely right in terms of the, the vaccine and the distribution of the vaccine. That is extremely important. And I am happy to say that there is people at the university, we have some unbelievable researchers at the university that are already looking at that. And I know our office is uh, helping to, to get that, so to speak, uh, developed and that can be used by our community, our regional and then our national and possibly global community. So, yeah, you are very, very right in, in that and really happy to, to report that we're 
following our two Jesuit tradition, we're already looking at that, and hopefully we will be we will be able to help our community. I think that's a, a great way for Marquette to act is to work on contributing to a plan that would really create an equitable response to how we distribute the vaccine and how we how we treat and care for those made most most vulnerable by COVID. So I just want to thank you both. This has been such a great conversation. I've learned so much and it's given me a lot to think about. Again, I just want to thank Dr. Carmel Ruffalo and Dr. Alexander Martins for their wonderful conversation today on the Catholic and Jesuit responses to COVID in healthcare. You can find our COVID conversations at Anchor and anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of COVID Convos. You can learn more about this podcast and the research being done at Marquette University by visiting the Research and Innovation website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at covidconvos at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is Phase 2 by Zylo Zyko.